0: And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View listeners, episode 373, whereby Sarah has 98% of her voice back.
1: (laughs) It is almost normal. I feel like I can hear a little graveliness and I've noticed that I'm not going to explain how I've noticed this, but if I try to make a high pitched noise, let's just leave it nice and generic like that. My voice gets very like weirdly squeaky. Like it doesn't, I don't have the same vocal range as I'm used to having. Let's, this is a good generic conversation to have. We don't need to get into any details here, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's nice. I didn't that think, think up- it was like,
0: awkward until you made it awkward a couple of times. Um. <laughs> Sorry. I mean,
1: I'm just a silly person. Okay, I'm a silly person, and I do silly things. I make animal noises when the kids are bothering me, just to entertain myself, so that I'm not annoyed at my children. It's a lot less racy than I was thinking. No, it's just it's 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 more just. Uh, <laughs> I just heard uh, you blush. Okay, I'm. Good. I did. I did blush. I, no, I'm just I'm just silly. That's all. Um, but I I do randomly break out into song and make silly animal noises in my
0: day-to-day life and that is still not all the way back well we've established that i prefer my voice when it's on that way out of being sick and a little stevie nicks vibe so i'm into it (laughs) you know what else i'm into what are you into powdered vegetables really in the powdered form that's no, no, no. <laughs> well, you know, there is one form of dehydrated, uh, high quality vegetables that I do consume, but we'll get into it, that later in the it's show. It's going to be
1: relevant later in the show. Um, I, I, it, it's amazing to me that you know we've done now. Oh, I want to say like seven, eight. 10, 15 different episodes tackling vegetables from various perspectives. And this is part of the How Many Vegetables series, um, which we started, I think, about a year ago, year and a half ago, um, where we've we've really tried to, I think, emphasize the importance of high vegetable intake in Any healthy diet and explain the reasons why. I I know you said seven or
0: eight, but this is episode 373. So I think the number of shows that we've emphasized vegetables is actually 373.
1: (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. It is a definite ongoing theme. Maybe we should uh, retitle the podcast. But I think that what always fascinates me. Is like the next follow-up question, and I'm like I'm really excited to sort of dig into um, the sort of ins and outs of powdered veggies as a um, whole food supplement to make consuming the high amount of vegetables that we ideally would to make that easier. Um, but before we get into powdered veggies, we do need to mention that this episode has a sponsor. And it's Juve. And do you know what Juve has to do with powdered
0: veggies? That maybe we like both of them. Yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: That's <laughs> that's, that, that's it. Uh, you know, eating a lot of vegetables makes me feel good. And uh, Juve Red Light Therapy makes me feel good. That's, that's the entire relevance link. Um, but we've done several shows on the benefits of red light therapy. It is a science-backed, there's over 3,000 different published clinical trials on red and near-infrared light therapy, the wavelengths that Juve uses. And it's really impressive that uh, through basically improving cellular health and cellular metabolism, red and near-infrared light therapy can benefit just about every system in the human body. Most notably, I think that's relevant for Stacy and I is that it can... Help to reduce inflammation, regulate the immune system. It's um, actually been shown to reduce pain, improve thyroid health, um, improve sleep quality. And actually, I was just doing um, some more research uh, on red light therapy the day before yesterday, and found a series of studies now, um, relatively new studies, showing that it can help regulate the stress axis. So, it's one of those. I would I would put it under the category of biohack. Um, but that really has a strong scientific foundation. It certainly um, has been incredibly beneficial in my life, but it also, I think it's one of those things that helps you get more out of your efforts, right? So we talk on the show all the time about the importance of a nutrient-dense, whole foods, anti-inflammatory diet. And we talk about the importance of sleep and stress management and activity and connection and nature time and all of those lifestyle factors. And what I think is so impressive about Juve red light therapy is that it it really helps. You know, when you're trying to manage your stress and you're trying to get better sleep, it can feel like this uphill battle. It for, certainly for me, those are those are my biggest sort of day to day health challenges in terms of um, dialing in what I'm doing in order to get health benefits out of it. And Juve just kind of helps helps to like it's like this little like I don't know like a like a boost or a you know it's like <sighs> putting a stool underneath you so you can reach that thing on the top shelf. It just helps um, my body sort of figure things out so that I actually get the benefits out of all of the choices that I'm making that are supposed to give me benefits all day. And so I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of Juve. Um, The science is super compelling and I think it's wonderful. And uh, I'm excited that they're sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You can learn more by going to juve.com forward slash paleo view. That's
0: j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash paleo view. I want to remind people because I've actually gotten a couple of questions lately that Juve does offer different sizes. The ones that we recommend are the ones that work together like Legos Mm -hmm. that can connect to one another. So I know from a price point perspective, it's tempting to look at like the Go or the Mini in the hope that you can get benefits from that. Absolutely, if that's what is in your budget and that's all that you can do, then that's better than nothing. But I would strongly recommend starting with at very least the solo so that in the future, if you want to have more red light, it can combine to then make a duo or a quad um, and so on, right? Like you And you can buy, um, so you can very
1: easily just uh, attach them together and hanging off of a door, but you can buy like a wall mount or there's a, I have mine on a rolling stand so I can move it around so I can just push it into the corner. And then when I want to use it, I can pull it out and put it closer to a electrical socket to plug it in. Um, And those are all things that you can also, as you're building your quad, say over time, when you finally have your four solo panels to make your quad, that's when you can figure out where you want to put it like where's the butt's the best stand option, and maybe you have it on a door when it's just a solo, but you want to move it to a wall mount later that those are also things that you can add on
0: cool, that's all I wanted to mention again, you can find them at j o o v v dot com slash paleo view and we are happy to answer any questions you have like i said i I have been getting some via like Instagram DMs and stuff like that. Feel free to reach out to us and we're happy to help you. So Riley
1: listened to our um, How Many Vegetables series and our um, one of the podcasts that was sort of tangential to that, which was the podcast on celery juice. And that's what inspired this follow-up question, which I will read now. Riley says... When I found y'all, I don't even remember how, maybe Sarah was interviewed on Chris Kresser's pod? Not sure. I definitely loaded up on old episodes. I love y'all's banter and hearing about your lives as well as your grounded approach to this lifestyle. Unlike so many others, you too have helped me keep grounded and keep it simple. The most recent example is your celery juice episode. I've definitely found myself wanting to juice celery with all these claims and I'm so glad I heard this episode. My question is, what about the opposite of juicing? So many people are starting to offer these powdered greens, mushrooms, fruits, et cetera, to pack in nutrients. When Sarah was talking about the nutrients, fiber, and phytochemicals that get lost in the juicing process, it made me wonder if any of those are lost in the drying and powdering process as well. There was an episode of Chris Kresser's podcast a while back that interviewed Dr. Thomas Cowan, who started Dr. Cowan's Garden. It stuck out to me because the thought process seems similar to juicing, trying to pack in as many nutrients from all these great vegetable sources without having to eat eat like three bunches of celery. Theoretically, could you add a scoop of powdered celery to say a bolognese or a soup or even a smoothie and achieve a similar result? Thank you for all the research you do and helping to present information in an easily understandable format. I look forward to the podcast weekly and go back through old episodes after I've listened to the new ones and can't wait to hear about what you have to say on this topic.
0: So it's interesting to me to hear about the opposite of juicing. I have not... I am not familiar with the person's work who she is referring to. Um, The idea of putting a scoop of concentrated celery to a bolognese or a smoothie gave a shiver down my spine. It's (laughs) not one of my favorite flavors, but um, I do think that it's an interesting concept because I think back to... um, Seinfeld's wife. Why can't I think of her name? I don't even think they're married anymore, but like way back in the day she was on all of the day talk shows talking about like hiding vegetables and powdered vegetables and this is the way to get your that. kids to eat and it was like not introducing the idea of vegetables being healthy and that's why we eat them. And so I just I want to put out there whether or not this is what this person's purpose is. I don't know because I'm not familiar, but before we jump into the why and the how of what these are and how they may or may not be beneficial for us. I want to remind people that the point of vegetables are that they are full of health benefits. And if the only way we are getting them is by sneaking them, and I'm using quotation marks when I say that, into our foods, or perhaps we're only having like one serving a vegetable at dinner and we're not having any at breakfast and we're not especially kids, um, having any at lunch, then we're not teaching how important this is for a healthy lifestyle long term to our kids or ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is top of mind for me because I went on a field trip with Finn last week and we came back and I had lunch with his class. And every time I have lunch with my kids, I am fascinated and appalled at what
1: What people are are sending
0: their kids to eat. And there was one kid who had like leftovers from dinner, who had what I would deem a healthy meal. Um, and I'm not defining that by just like some you know judgmental concept I'm not, I'm defining it by like ninety percent of it wasn't processed. you know what I mean right. so um i I want to address this from the perspective of someone who might listen to the show might be interested in my kid doesn't eat vegetables and I'm looking for ways to add it to their. Uh, template so that then they can get nutritional benefits. I think that there is a validity in until you can get someone to eat better, the progress that you can make now is obviously a good thing. And we can talk about some of the ways to do that. And I know that we have prior shows on introducing foods that your kids aren't used to, especially a lot of the older shows when our kids were younger and we tackled those concepts. Um, different things like salivary amylase and, and building that up so that, you know, they actually have the proper saliva to, <laughs> to to digest those vegetables mm-hmm. and for them to not taste so bitter for them. There's, there's basic things that you really can do for children, but as adults, like let's be real we, we need to eat vegetables and we need to show our kids that we're eating vegetables so that our kids want to eat vegetables. So, I'm just laying that groundwork because we've talked about vegetables so many times that um, it's easy to be busy with sports season and school starting and selling your home and not using your kitchen (laughs) to, (laughs) um, you know, try to skip. And we've been doing a lot of like rotisserie chicken and bag salad and things like that. But that's the thing is there's a bag salad. And we did, you know hot dogs in the microwave one night and there was a kale salad, right? Like they're just, we have to show that no matter how busy or where we go, whether it's out to eat, even when we get pizza, gluten-free pizza, um, my kids are required to eat vegetable. Like Wesley gets broccoli and um, Cole gets olives and he actually likes onions. Um, Finn tries to pass pineapple off as a vegetable and we have a conversation about it. So I'm just saying like, there are ways to incorporate this concept. And for us, it's just what's what vegetable are you eating today? What vegetable are you eating in this meal? Like, when someone's packing their lunch, I'm looking at a lunch. I'm like, where's your vegetable? So I'm just laying that groundwork because I think as we get into the concept of powdering and juicing that might be lost. So I just I wanted to also you're going to do a lot of talking about science. So I felt like I needed to say something, you know, (laughs)
1: No, I, I really like that you prefaced, um, you know, I'm going to you know get a little bit technical in terms of what is lost versus retained and what type of drying process. And I think that it's important to stay grounded in the um, really important message here that high vegetable consumption is fundamental for long-term health and that the most sustainable and affordable way to achieve that is not by relying on supplements. I mean, I, I'm not an anti-supplement person in general. I just don't think that they're a first line. Um, I think they are a, a refining, tinkering, troubleshooting tool. And so when it comes to using supplements to replace something that you're having a hard time consuming as part of your diet. I think it's really good to be reflective and look back at why am I struggling to get this in my diet and what can I change about my routine that might make that easier. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's no place for supplements. I actually have tried, uh, one of the Dr. Cowan's gardens, uh, someone gave me his leak powder at one point, which I have tried that. And it's actually, um, I've started using it when I make, um, homemade, uh, dips, or, um, I have put it into a few things when i you know, it's kind of like, Oh, I'm, I, I, I thought I had two onions at home, but I only have one, but I wanted two for this thing. Oh, I'll grab some leek powder. That'll kind of give me a similar flavor. So I have actually used it that way. And I know that, um, because I have tried this one product, I I'm somewhat familiar with, with Dr. Cowan and it really, his goal is to make eating more vegetables, Easier, and he has sort of a, a variety of products that I think it actually comes out of his own garden, and I think are fairly low temperature dehydrated. Although I'm not, I don't know the entire process that that um, they're using to to make those products. Um, so I want to I want to sort of say like I I I think that there is a healthy balance where we are making an effort to eat as much fresh vegetables as we can uh teach that you know behavior to our children as a just you know part of healthy living and then also utilize supplements for for example you know, maybe it's just breakfast is just so hard to get those vegetables in and it's nice to have a little powder that you can throw in just scrambled eggs. Um, or maybe it's, for me, it's traveling. So I really rely on these types of supplements when I'm traveling to make sure that I'm getting enough um, vegetables as well as organ meats. So that's that's where I rely on food-based supplements. So um, I really like, Stacy that you sort of grounded us in in that, I think, central message before... I talk about the different ways of dehydrating vegetables and creating vegetable powders. There's really two different sort of classes of methods. Um, and they basically fall under the with heat method or the, you know, without heat or, or with refrigeration method. Um, there's a lot more different techniques that have been developed for creating vegetable powders that utilize heat. So there's uh, Dehydration, and even within dehydration, there's various um, different technologies, convection, oven drying, hot air drying. Um, There's also things like sun drying. Um, You can use infrared light to to dry um, vegetables and make vegetable powders. There's a microwave drying process that can be used. There's a vacuum drying, so it's under vacuum and heat to create vegetable powders. And um, the temperature that's used, in, it can vary pretty dramatically, but it's typically somewhere between 60 and 80 degrees Celsius. Um, so just sub boiling point, but it can be, there are various methods where the, the temperature of the food is getting higher. So the food is actually being cooked while it's being powdered or dehydrated. Uh, with When you compare to methods without heat, it's basically freeze drying. That's That's basically the only method out there. Um, which is also called lyophilization, which I used to do in the lab, which is why I can say that word as though it's no big deal. And I will talk about that in more detail. I want to talk about first the heat-based processes, because those are the ones where you lose nutrients. And it it's not as bad as some people think, um, but it varies by the food, by the um, exact process and also by the nutrient that you're looking to measure. And this is where I think looking at powders, especially, um, these types of processes are used, for example, in the, the types of powders that you would get in, uh, like a, um, uh, you know, a powdered soup packet, right? Like, um, you know, those types of, um, Very um, sort of convenient, inexpensive foods might be mixed with tons of MSG. This is the standard process. Freeze drying is very expensive to do. And so you're going to see more freeze drying and sort of boutique-y niche products, um, often things that cater to our community. So in heat drying, there's been a variety of of papers that have looked at uh, the different Nutrients and retention, and I just wanted to to quote a few numbers that I thought illustrated the variability in nutrient retention really well. So there was one um, one paper, and it was actually really looking at uh, soups. So the whole idea was um, there; they were looking at fresh vegetables, fresh cooked soup, or dried powders that were then made into you know mixed together that. Would, would then be reconstituted to make a soup, and looking at the nutrient retention. Um, and this is these are studies that are, um, I think, really interesting when you see them because the the idea is to make a better manufactured food, and any time that some kind of food science thinks about nutrients, I think that's great. So this study looked at a variety of of different ingredients that were going into their soups. And, um, I'm going to quote tomato, onion, and pumpkin. So they have a, a nutrient density score that was a reflection of the fiber content, magnesium, iron, zinc, potassium, vitamin A, vitamin B1, vitamin B2, vitamin B3, vitamin B6, vitamin C, and vitamin K1. So those were the, um, nutrients. They, um, they then got their nutrient density score based on those. And the dried tomato, right, the powder, dried and powdered tomato only had 67% of the equivalent of a fresh tomato in terms of its nutrient density score. So that means it basically lost a third of its nutrients in the dehydration and powdering process. But the onion had 95% compared to fresh pumpkin was 93%. So there's definitely certain nutrients are more volatile than others. I mean, these are all nutrients that were, um, these are all, uh, powders that were created the same way. And so, um, this shows you that it's, it's, it's really hard to make a, you know, oh, a powdered vegetable only has half the nutrients of a fresh, like I can't, really make a statement like that. And if you look at some of what I think are the most compelling reasons for consuming high high vegetable content, so vegetables offer us the most important fiber for our, our gut microbiomes. They offer us really important vitamins and minerals, and they offer us these really important antioxidant phytochemicals. And when you start to look at especially antioxidant phytochemicals, that's where heat drying methods really start to seem um, unsatisfactory. So there are now some studies that have looked at flavonoid content, which includes flavanols, flavones, and catechins, and shown that in this sort of convection hot air drying methods, that the powder can have as little as 3% of the flavonoid content as the starting fresh food um, phenolic content and anthocyanins, um, is similar. It can lose up to about 80%. It can lose up to 60% of the vitamin C. And it seems as though the higher the temperature, um, of the drying process, the, uh, lower the nutrient content is of the end product. So that's, we're looking for, um, something that, was a low enough temperature processing that it can still be called raw might be beneficial. Um, that's we're looking for words like low temperature. Um, but it's interesting because there's not really a, you know, anything below this temperature is good and above this temperature is bad because of the high variability, depending on what nutrient you're evaluating, right? Minerals tend not to be lost in this process. Um, but vitamins and um phytochemicals are. And so uh, it really depends on how you how you are measuring nutrient loss and also depends on the exact food and depends on the exact dehydration and powdering process. But it's not just the dehydration itself, um, you know the heating, you're basically heating up the food to remove the water, right? That is, that is what that is achieving. The whole idea of creating these powders is you're basically removing, ideally, all of the water content and leaving behind everything else. So you basically have the vegetable without the bulk that water would add. So the unfortunate thing is that most of the typical grinding techniques to make a vegetable powder also cause loss of nutrients. So um grinding um the, the sort of normal methods for grinding after say convection, dehydration, or hot air drying would add mechanical heat. Um, and unfortunately, um most of the energy that is applied to these now sort of dehydrated vegetables in order to ground to make vegetable powders, about 90% of that energy is applied in heat. So um only that 10% that's left is actually used for creating small particles and the foods can heat up uh, in excess of 100 degrees celsius. And so there've been various studies looking at what happens additionally to nutrients after the food's been dehydrated when it's ground and it's shown that there can be an additional loss of um sort of volatile compounds, those are all of the aromatic compounds that actually give the vegetable powder the flavor of the vegetable. Um, You can lose about an additional 30% of those. You can lose um, most of the flavonoids. Um, There's been studies showing that the antioxidant capacity after grinding of certain sort of like, this is in looking in the supplement industry now, so looking at uh, high antioxidant fruit powders, right? There's a variety of those. Um, basically shown that by the time you dehydrate and use mechanical grinding, the uh, finished product has no antioxidant capacity through the complete loss of all of those antioxidant flavonoids. Um, and, uh, And it's interesting because that really seems to be, again, sort of due to the heat that's being added to the food unintentionally through grinding. So there are some processes where they either pre-chill the food or they pre-cool the equipment or they add um, some kind of coolant through the process, try to keep it, um, keep the food uh, from, stop it from getting so hot. And that will help to reduce the nutrient loss. Um, but that's, that's one of the things that I think is a real challenge for the food industry right now is there's definitely a market for vegetable powders, but these are, these are the, like the standard inexpensive ways of creating them It's through something like convection, um, dehydration or hot air drying with mechanical grinding and depending on the, the food that you're creating the powder out of and the exact process, and how you want to measure it, you can lose really some of the most compelling nutrients that are in the food that make it a healthy food to such a level that consuming that powder becomes nearly pointless. Now compare that to freeze drying, because freeze drying, also known as lyophilization, is awesome. So this technique in comparison is done um, both under Uh, cold, very cold temperatures um, from minus two to minus 10 degrees Celsius in a vacuum. So it is done in the absence of oxygen. And what it does is basically it's like sucking out, it's like freezing the water molecules um, and sucking them out of the food basically at the same time. And what that actually ends up doing, if you've ever bought like freeze dried berries or something, right, there's a lot of different brands that offer of freeze-dried fruits as a snack, you'll see that it actually can retain the entire shape. And the, there's, there's sometimes of the foods that are relatively fragile under other drying conditions. And so freeze-drying is fantastic for retaining color, shape, aroma, flavor profile, but also nutritional value, which um, is the thing that i uh, generally look at first and foremost. And it is in part done because of the low oxygen environment. Uh, it helps to, to ret- retain, for example, all of those um, really important antioxidant phytochemicals, um, but also because it's done, um, it's under, under vacuum. So, um, so, or done under vacuum And uh, cold. So it's that combination of those two things that's preserving the molecular molecular structure um, while removing the water. And so there's almost no loss of flavonoids in freeze drying, which is really fascinating. And looking at all the same, right, flavonols, flavones, uh, catechins, phenolics, uh, anthocyanins, those things generally can be completely preserved. Um, And again, there's definitely some foods that are more susceptible to nutrient loss under even freeze drying conditions than others. But when you're losing, um, say you're looking at a food like the aforementioned tomatoes, when you're looking at a food that's more susceptible to nutrient loss, uh, under we'll just call this like drying preservation techniques. Um, you're looking at, you know, maybe a 10 to 20% loss at most of 50% loss compared to 97% loss. Um, And most of the studies have have really shown that nutrient loss is more like in the 5% range. So you're retaining a lot more of the vitamin C, a lot more of the antioxidant phytochemicals, um, and a lot more of the other vitamins. And there's been a huge variety of studies now that have looked at... um, freeze drying of of different fruit, of different vegetables, and generally shown that it is by far, um, the best nutrient retention as well as the best retention of, um, things that are reflecting phytochemical content. So, you know, color, flavor, um, the aroma. Those are all things that phytochemicals are contributing to. And then when they actually go in and measure phytochemicals, um, they're actually showing, again, really excellent retention. So
0: compared to other methods... Can I just interject for a second? Sure. Because my mind was blown for a minute. And then I remembered, we previously talked about how frozen vegetables are infinitely greater than, for example canned vegetables that you could buy at the store because they're peaked at they're picked at their peak freshness and very little um, removal of the nutrient value from that as well. So this does make sense. And then I remembered that NASA freeze dries. That's how they choose Mm -hmm. to give their food to their astronauts. And I'm like, of course NASA had this figured out and knew everything. I feel like anytime I'm looking for good info, I need to just <laughs> add NASA to the Google su- yeah, search bar.
1: For sure. Um, e- actually, um, and I I thank you for, for pausing me there for a second, because one of the things that I forgot to mention is there's even studies showing that freeze drying can increase the concentration of phytochemicals. Um, and that is... Crazy awesome! it basically means that there's something about freeze drying that is um causing precursor chemicals to be converted into the active chemicals and so there's even some studies showing um like you might lose you know most studies showing it's like five to ten percent at most um you might lose at as much as 10% of some nutrients, but you might get 50% more of others through freeze drying. So in terms of how um, that preservation technique impacts nutrients, it's basically, I would say it's a wash. So I would say consuming something freeze dried is pretty close to equivalent to consuming the um, fresh food. Now, That does also mean that freeze-drying needs to be combined with a grinding technique to make a a freeze-dried vegetable powder that keeps the powder cold. So you can't take your freeze-dried food and then use mechanical grinding and add tons of heat and expect to still maintain all those nutrients. So there's um, two grinding techniques that are typically used with freeze-dried foods. One's called cryogenic grinding or a freezer mill. So that's the most common. So it's basically, you know, grinding under these cold refrigerated conditions. Um, The other one is called a jet mill, which causes micronization. Um, And I don't know how common that is in consumer products, but it's sort of an interesting technique because it basically (laughs) involves like Smashing the food together like a particle accelerator to make it like break apart into smaller pieces, but it creates um, a really, really fine powder, which means that it's able to dissolve into cold liquids, which is one of the other, I think, benefits of um, freeze drying is because it's because of the way that the powder is created, it on average creates something that is more dissolvable than, uh,
0: dehydration that uses heat. I'm fascinated. I guess I would have thought dehydration wouldn't have been as, (sighs) to me, the the hotness of the air. You almost said
1: an expletive. No, I didn't.
0: I inserted an expletive in what I thought you were going to say. (laughs) Um, No, I'm just struggling to find my words, which, you know, is normal. Uh, (laughs) But to me, dehydration, because the temperature is so much lower, I wouldn't have thought it to produce the same results as, for example, oven heat and stuff like that, which we've also covered on the show as – affecting nutrient value of foods but then you're also getting this offset of reducing lectins which in turn is making it potentially more absorbable which is why we say we need to eat a variety of raw and cooked vegetables all the time shocker um anyway i would have thought that the dehydration being a lower temperature wouldn't have impacted the nutrient value as much so i'm a little Mm -hmm. surprised by that
1: yeah, I think, um, you know, it's likely that, you know, cause if you were to convert that to an oven temperature, if you were going to create your own, um, you're looking at 225 to 250 Fahrenheit range in the oven, um, 200 range. And I think, um, part of it is the fact that, um, the fact that it takes a long time to, you're basically trying to evaporate. The water molecules out, whereas freeze drying crystallizes them and then like sucks them out. It's sort of a it's it's um, it's basically the energy that you're applying to the water molecule is quite different, right? And one you're trying to slow it down, and one you're trying to speed it up its vibration so that it will um, evaporate. Um, and actually, what's really interesting is in freeze drying, you're actually trying to sublime the water which means to go straight from a solid to a gas and skip over the liquid phase. So you create the solid um, water crystal and then evaporate it through the vacuum. Um, And that's how it's it's like sucked out of the food, which is, I I mean, we're hitting all my physics nerd buttons right now. So I'm like really enjoying talking about this. Um, Whereas all of the heat methods of dehydration, it's about uh, making steam, right? So you're, you're trying to heat up the water molecule to go from liquid to gas in the other direction, right? So it's, it's uh, one, you're removing energy from the molecule, and the other one, you're adding energy to the molecule. And it's basically the impact of what that does to the food matrix around the water, and which would include all of the nutrients, and how getting a molecule to vibrate faster can you're then imposing heat onto every, all of the other molecules around that water. And that's going to change molecular structures. Whereas when you f- cool everything down and try to make molecules um, vibrate less, you can basically suck out that water without impacting the structure of the molecules around it. It's pretty cool. I think it's cool. I'm nerding out. I'm
0: enjoying you nerding out. It's always entertaining. <laughs> it's either like, Oh, like she's a cute dork, or I am also fascinated by your knowledge. So either way, it's a win. Yeah, no, I'm. I I will take it. Um, so
1: uh, there have been some studies that have looked at powdered vegetable supplements um, and shown some health benefits. Um, there was a four week study in ten people where they were given two tablespoons of a greens powder. Those things tend to have you know, 30 to 40 different ingredients in them and, uh, showed that it actually improved their antioxidant capacity and reduced things like oxidized proteins and oxidized lipids in the blood, which, um, would translate to lower cardiovascular disease risk over time. Um, there was a 90 day study in about 40 people with high blood pressure. And again, given two tablespoons of a greens powder daily, um, and they actually showed reduction in blood pressure, both systolic and, and diastolic, over three months. However, those things are really exciting, but it, like it's the same effect when you do studies where you just give people more vegetables. So um, it's nice to see that a powdered vegetable supplement can show measurable health effects in a relatively short period of time in humans. But... There's nothing special about powdered vegetable, even a freeze-dried vegetable, that um, you're not necessarily going to get from a fresh vegetable. With one, I think, worth discussing in detail, potential exception, and that is the effect of a smaller fiber particle size on the microbiome. So this is relevant to a vegetable or fruit powder but it's also relevant to making a smoothie in a high powered blender or a pureed soup in a high powered blender and there have actually been a variety of studies that have looked at like what happens when you take carrots and you you know c- create such small particles that it's literally a single cell or a cell fragment and what happens to uh, the gut microbiome, these are usually done uh, in vitro, so it 's like a human microbiome, but like in a test tube what what are they producing short chain fatty acids, which is very beneficial to us so it's a and a good measure of, of fermentation um, and what you know what what's happening to the gut microbiome and what's really interesting is that different foods um, are fermented faster as a small particle size and others ferment faster as a large particle size. So the carrot studies, there's actually a couple of them that I just mentioned, they actually found that larger cell clusters, so they were like clusters of seven or eight cells as opposed to single cells, so still a powder, but not a micronized powder, actually fermented more rapidly than single carrot cells or than cell fragments. And the reason was the research was actually able to show is that the, um, the cell structure that promoted bacterial growth that um, the bacteria were actually basically eating was the junctions between the cells rather than cell walls, uh, which is fascinating because in some plants it's the exact... Opposite. So, for example, there's been a a variety of studies um, in wheat bran, um, and those are usually done for feed, right? So, for, you know, trying to protect the microbiome of chickens by feeding them, creating a a pebble that has a micronized wheat bran in it. Um, But just as a, you know, I'm obviously not endorsing wheat bran consumption here, but just as an academic, how changing the particle size impacts fermentation, smaller particles are fermented more rapidly than larger particles. And it's really because, um, the details of fiber structure matter. So, um, all plant cells have fi- like fiber is part of the cellular structure and different types of fiber, um, are parts of different, like, different parts of the cell. They're, you know, glue that holds other fibers together. And um, the the detail of the molecular structure matters in terms of what types of bacteria can access it, how easily they can access it, how easily they can use it as food. And it's one of the reasons why a high variety of vegetables is really important for supporting a healthy and diverse gut microbiome. It's one of the reasons why we want to mix up consuming some raw and consuming some cooked vegetables because... Changing the fiber molecular structure through the heat applied in cooking changes what type of bacteria are going to use that fiber as a substrate. So it changes what types of bacteria that food supports, which changes everything about the gut microbiome. But what's fascinating is, for example, there's a study in bananas and showed that bacteria actually prefer the um, cell walls of bananas rather than the resistant starch contents. We always think of bananas as being a pretty good source of resistant starch. Our bacteria actually like the cell walls of banana cells better, which means that a banana powder would be a great food for the gut microbiome. But with mango, it's the complete opposite. Our bacteria want the thick vascular fibers in between the cells very, very different. So then you're talking about a larger particle being a, a better thing, um, or whole mango, even better. So um, so when it comes to the gut microbiome, it, there's not, again, you can't make a concise statement of vegetable powders are fermented more readily than the fresh vegetable. That's sometimes true, and it's sometimes completely the opposite. Um, and it's also worth noting that faster fermentation isn't always better. Um, if something is f- fermented faster, it feeds bacteria in the upper part of the GI tract and it's you basically used up by the time it gets to the large intestine. Ideally we would consume a mix of fibers, some that ferment slowly and some that f- that ferment quickly, and so that you would actually spread the fermentation throughout the entire digestive tract. So that the end sort of conclusion of that is that there's nothing Wrong with um, powdered fruits or veggies from a a gut microbiome perspective, or pureed soups or smoothies, Um, but uh, and that sometimes that might actually be beneficial. But there's not a there's not an argument to be made in favor of powdered fruits and vegetables, or smoothies, or pureed soups, or chewing 300 times that um, there's not an argument that can be made in favor of that from a gut microbiome perspective. So that there's not a, aha, here's the magic thing that makes these so much better. So whether we look at it from a nutrient perspective or a gut microbiome perspective, we're basically seeing the same thing, that freeze-dried retains nutrients, and that there's nothing about vegetable powders that makes them a compelling substitute for fresh Fruits and vegetables, other than how it might fit into her life and and convenience.
0: I personally like convenience. <laughs> I, so, like I said at the top of the show, um, one of the ways that I add uh, powdered veggies to my life is to make smoothies with the collagen veggie blend that you help put together. Um, first of all, having firsthand knowledge with talking to you and we did a podcast on it early when it first came out. Um, I know that the, the quality of the fruits and veggies in it are ones that I was comfortable with, but also I consume collagen on a daily basis to help with both my um, autoimmune gut condition which we've talked about Mm -hmm. before as well as my joint pain and so it's just something i have to have every day and um i don't do well with breakfast which we talked about because we don't have a gallbladder because i don't have a gallbladder and i found a couple of different ways that i really like that veggie blend and smoothies either with or without coffee. It's not something I do every day. I would say maybe twice a week I have one. Um, and I find that it's a great way when I'm just not feeling like eating a meal, especially one with a lot of vegetables that I am able to add it and feel good about what I'm consuming versus, um, what I either read or see other people do or what I used to do way back in the day is just grab one of those highly sugarized, essentially, you know, um, whey powder, which I don't do good with dairy kind of like quote unquote protein powders. But Mm -hmm. then when you actually read the ingredients and, um, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's doing nothing for you and it doesn't have any vegetables, um, and so I try to always make sure, as we've talked about in the show before, that if I'm eating macronutrients, that I'm adding micronutrients. That's mm-hmm. just kind of a, a philosophy that I have. And your veggie blend has enabled me to do that. Um, I also add frozen, like a half of a frozen banana to the smoothie instead yeah. of um, like a yogurt or something like that could be added if you do well with dairy for a probiotic factor. Um, but I personally do. Um, find that the half of a frozen banana with the veggie blend, and then a variety of different liquids like coffee or almond milk, unsweetened almond milk, um, and then I usually add cocoa powder as well. Um, is it? Well, can kind of I just way.
1: clarify? You're making a smoothie with collagen veggie blend, half a banana, and coffee. Yes
0: and people have tried it. i actually shared the recipe on instagram um and people have tried it and they said that it's their favorite way to have the collagen veggie blend
1: wait wait, 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 wait. So, uh, hang on hang on cuz i'm i'm really not keeping up with you right now is that a <laughs> is that a cold coffee like yes. a okay yes. so like so it's a cold like brew
0: a- yeah i make cold brew on the regular at home it's like my new thing um because I was purchasing iced coffee on the regular and was trying to get away from the plastic and the daily consumption mm-hmm. of doing it somewhere else. And it wasn't fair trade organic. So now I make my own cold brew at home. And like I said, maybe like twice a week when I don't just want coffee with collagen as my breakfast and I'm either up for something more. So usually on the days that I have water aerobics, let me be clear. That's what's happening <laughs> is on the days that, that I have water aerobics. Yeah. Um, I'm usually having one of those smoothies. So, um, I use, and I, I, I don't want coffee and a smoothie, like it's too much. So mm-hmm. I came up with this, um, recipe, which is, I don't want to say it's like a Frappuccino because then people are going to think it's, you know, going to be like a Frappuccino, but it's essentially that concept. It's using a, a ripe, frozen banana. So when our, our bananas get overly ripe, we freeze them. And sometimes we buy extra and we intentionally let them go overripe to freeze them. And so, and I think you can also buy frozen banana at the grocery store. Um, but anyway, so it's half a frozen banana and cold brew iced coffee and almond milk and collagen veggie blend and cocoa powder. And that's it. I'm pretty sure I have to go back to the recipe and see, but, (laughs) and that's, I have found that to be a great way to feel good about something that's adding both macro and micronutrients to a breakfast. Or sometimes if I'm craving ice cream, I'll do a non-coffee version of that in the evenings so that it is, um, like a chocolatey milkshake almost, Mm -hmm. I say that, and people are going to expect that, but it's obviously not, guys. It's a veggie smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> but when you add the half a frozen banana and cocoa powder, it it solves that craving that I'm having in Actually, a much more nutrient-dense way. That's the way I like
1: collagen veggie blend is with half a frozen super ripe banana and cocoa powder and water is usually how I make it. Um, I'm still wrapping my head around the coffee thing. That's, um, that's going to take me a while to... But also... I'm not a fan of cold coffee or sweet coffee, so that's probably why I'm having such a hard time processing. <laughs> because I'm like, why would you add banana to coffee? Um, I, funnily enough, I can wrap my head around the college collagen <laughs> to, <blend> to coffee <laughs> easily. Um, but I think it would be sort of worthwhile uh, since uh, you brought this up. Sort of, you know, recommend to people, give them a, the the the. The step back, this 20,000 foot view of Vital Proteins Collagen Veggie Blend, it is AIP. Um, two quite small scoops have a serving of collagen peptides, two servings of vegetables, and half a serving of high antioxidant fruit. And of those two servings of vegetables, about one is from sort of carrot and butternut squash. And then the other is from leafy greens, mostly kale. There's a tiny bit of spinach um, and a tiny bit of broccoli. And so it also is um, a really nice, you know, it has 11 different fruits and vegetables in it. So it really does give you all of that variety. And it was something that Vital Proteins and I worked on formulating I want to say it was over a year from maybe a year and a half from our first discussion about collaborating on this product to the product actually launching. And then a year after it launched, we reformulated it. Um, And so this is now what you you can purchase. And you can get it at like whole foods has it sprouts has it. Um, obviously you can buy it from VitalProteins.com, and we would always appreciate you use our link. Um, and I think you can get some special deals on some bundles there. So if you can go to www.vitalproteins.com slash the view that helps to support the podcast. Um, but it's, you know, so far it's been my only collaboration, uh, with a company in the food space. And it was a very wonderful collaboration. Like if every collaboration I could ever do would be as wonderful as working with phytoproteins was to create collagen veggie blend, I would do a whole lot more of them. Um, And I think it's sort of worth emphasizing here. uh, You know, one of the things that I can completely attest to the quality of collagen veggie blend is because I had such a um, strong influence in how it was created and how we were sourcing the ingredients, right? The fruits and vegetables are all organic, um, it's worthwhile sort of emphasizing that um, the amount of freeze-dried vegetable powder that you have to consume to equate to a serving can vary pretty dramatically from company to company. So I um, the way that you would do this is you actually look at the fiber grams and the calories because those are very well, fiber and calories are very well maintained through freeze-drying and compare like how much of this powder do I need to get equal to how much fresh? So I I grabbed some numbers. Um, This is just off of the labels and did some fairly simple math. And I looked at North Bay Trading Company freeze-dried kale powder. So the equivalent of three cups chopped fresh kale, uh, if you were to consume North Bay Trading Company powder, would be about half a cup of powder. Um, And uh, just as a comparison, if you were to buy a, bag of pre-chopped kale from like Walmart or Kroger, you'd spend about a buck fifty on three cups chopped. Um from North Bay Trading Company, it's about seven bucks for their that half cup of powder. Um Biofinest, uh, which is another brand, and these are both organic by the way, um, only three tablespoons is equivalent to that three cups chopped, and it's only about four dollars. So there's definitely some for uh, variability in terms of what the fresh equivalent is. And so I think it's good to just, you can just look up uh, on the USDA database and look up what the fresh fiber grams or calories are, and then do a comparison, like how much, um, you know, a serving is 80 to 100 grams fresh. Um, so how much of this powder is equal to a serving of the fresh vegetable? Because I think one of the things that can happen it's one of the one of the things that I actually had a strong say in in collagen veggie blend was um how we defined serving because I wanted it to be the equivalent of the fresh servings um I I'm not sure that that's necessarily standardized across all labels so one serving of powder might not be the same as one serving of the fresh vegetable. so just keep that in mind as you're looking at different options and looking at ways of um bringing them into your life and um I want to also go back to, Stacy. what you said sort of um, at the top of the show, which is that the goal here is to consume more fruits and vegetables and to make behavioral changes in our life that support lifelong health, which means really evaluating what is our challenge to consuming more. Um, One of the things that we didn't really talk about is that when people have a lot of GI symptoms, when they consume a lot of vegetables, often vegetable powders can be a lot easier on the digestive tract. So this can be an entry point into consuming more fresh fruits and vegetables for people who are recovering from, um, you know, say autoimmune disease that impacts the GI tract, like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, um, but there's some other sort of GI conditions that can make you know, digesting large amounts of fruits and vegetables is very challenging without triggering very unpleasant gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, but overall, it's a tool, right? So overall, um, compared to something like juicing, which really goes to the heart of the question, powders, especially freeze-dried powders, are so much better. And if you look at, for example, um, one of the things that um, Riley mentioned in her question, his question is that that there is this, you know, powdered, you know, mushroom powders, uh, fruit supplements, powdered greens. The things to look for in a vegetable or fruit powder is that it's been freeze-dried. If not freeze-dried, then the lowest temperature processing possible. And then also look, um, do your own math in terms of what the fresh equivalent is. So don't uh, count on the servings on the label to actually be the equivalent of fresh servings so that you know how much you're taking and can really work on adding more fruits and vegetables to your diet, potentially using vegetable powders as a really good tool. I mean, compared to juicing where you lose all the nutrients, I would say vegetable powders hit the hit the you know all the most of the the pro column checks that I would look for. And I think it's awesome that we have something like vegetable powders available to us to make consuming the amount of fresh fruits and vegetables that are really necessary for lifelong health, easy to fit into our busy lives.
0: You know what else is something that's easy to fit into our busy lives that makes me feel good? Would it happen to be our podcast sponsor, Juve? You got it. (laughs) I just want to thank Juve again for sponsoring this show while it might not directly relate to vegetables. that's not necessary um we personally use and love juve both sarah and i and so we want to remind you that if you want to check out the show on that science we'll have a link in the show notes but you can also learn a lot just on our main juve page joovv.com paleo view there's information and i think even the video that you did with them sarah on that um, page itself so that's a quick and easy way to jump over there and check out about this red light therapy that also improves health so drink your collagen veggie blend smoothie while you're juving and think about how your mitochondria and gut health are just gonna be loving it that
1: is the perfect idea
0: i'm gonna do that (laughs) right now without the coffee
1: i think thanks for listening and of course we'll be back next week thank you for listening to the paleo view if you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Hello, hello, hello. Because <laughs> you said you said hello funny and then I said hello funny and then it turned out to not be funny it was just kind of stupid,
0: <laughs> but... Thanks for you your patience with my tardiness. We had many windows to close. It's... <laughs> Fall here and lovely and cold, which I'm, I'm not going to get very much what? of.
1: Um, very much fall because you're heading out south
0: where there's no fall. In the future, yeah. So yeah. I just had to, like, so you know, close all the windows. Enjoy it all. Yeah. And then say, no more fall for you. <laughs> so I'm like, My
1: team's using Voxer. And they were like, Sarah, can we start a Voxer channel with you? I said, nope. Nope, nope, you cannot because um, this is also David was like, uh, Oh, we were watching a YouTube video and it had a ad for the new Apple Watch ahead of it. And I said, Apple Watches are so stupid. I don't know why anyone would want one. And he looked at me and was like, You serious? I'm like, Yeah. He goes, Really? I'm like, Why? <laughs> he was planning on getting me an Apple Watch for my birthday. <laughs> and um, so that was a shining shining relationship moment. Um, but I'm like the phone features of my phone are my least favorite aspects of what my phone does. I like everything else, but like being able to call me and text me and check my email on my phone. Those are all the things that like make me stressed. I like, you know, I do like being able to work on my phone, but I also really like playing on my phone and you know, being you know asking my phone things like tell me about the ottoman empire you know like (laughs) random stuff that's just comes up in conversation that you used to just finish the conversation and never find the answer to your questions and now you can learn the answers seeking the truth never gets old